Hey there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 285 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I hope you had a chance to listen to the three of us celebrating the victory over Virginia. We're going to give you even more analysis of that Virginia game. This will be the sober analysis. This is us uh, operating off of five, maybe six hours of sleep, but uh, at least a little bit of rest to talk about that Virginia game. We're also going to be previewing a huge, huge week ahead for the Blue Devils, starting with a game against the Syracuse Orangemen um, that is you know, nothing but important games from here on out. And this is a very important one, but yeah, actually that's right. Syracuse is just the orange. They're not the orange men. I, I, I don't remember what they're called, What the heck in any event, let me bring in my guys, uh, Donald wine and Samuel Klein. Donald just texted me to say Syracuse is the orange, not the orange men. Thank you, Donald. Oh, no problem. I, it's old habits die hard. I know uh, growing up uh, Eastern Michigan, where, where I'm from, were the Hurons. They have not been the Hurons for like 30 years. No, I'm sorry. I'm almost 40. So almost 40 years. And they, uh, you know, people there still call them the Hurons. So it's completely understand. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. Old school Jason Evans here. Doesn't remember <laughs> when things change. <laughs> and I'm also, as always, joined by Sam Klein. How you doing, Sam? How much sleep did you get? Not a ton. Uh, but I'm young enough to not really remember Syracuse being the orange men. So I, there's, there's more Duke <laughs> basketball that you guys remember than I do, but I'm not, uh, I'm not sullied by, by all these old timey names. So yeah, Syracuse orange, the only name I know. So guys, let's get to the discussion of the, the game that happened just yesterday, that, which was Duke beating Virginia 66 to 65. And unlike last night when there were lots of expletives and lots of just us having a good time, we're going to get to a little more sober analysis here. Uh, let's start as we always do with our headlines. Sam, I'll let you go first. What's your headline from the game? So my headline from last night is life support is the cure for Duke. We talked about how this was Duke's probably last good opportunity to beat a team that would dramatically improve its chances of making the NCAA tournament. And that as, as I think we talked about last night in all of our excitement, the team by and large showed up for that. So life support is the cure for Duke. I like it. I like it. Donald, what's your headline? My headline is Duke's got something to say in big time victory over UVA. Very simply Duke made a big statement last night that all ideas about them just withering out and not making this NCAA tournament without a fight. Those things are those, those, those aspirations are gone. Now Duke had something to say last night and it was, we are here and we're going to fight for this. So my headline gentlemen plays off of what I think was the key moment in the game. And I think you're going to know what I'm, my headline is going to be Duke slaps Virginia eyes, a ticket to the dance. And, and by slap, I mean the floor slap that happened with two and a half minutes left. Uh, you saw it on television. Uh, it's something we don't see from the Blue Devils very often these days. Uh, you know, we talked at the beginning, Orange Men, you know, hearkening back to old school stuff regarding college basketball. Duke teams that slap the floor and say, you shall not score from here on out. And that is exactly what happened in this game. And that's what won the Blue Devils this game. Um, so, guys, let's let's get to we'll do the good first. We'll save the bad. I don't think there's a lot of bad. Um, but let's start with the good. And Donald, I'll go to you first. You know, give me just one thing. We'll come back and forth on these things. But uh, get me started on what you saw that you really loved last night. So I'll start with this. They took what UVA gave them. And what I mean by that is last night when we were celebrating this, Jason, you remarked that when you look at the box score and you look at the, the game and you look at the, the final score, it may have been a UVA type of game. You may say, oh, man, UVA just kind of took Duke down to the level. 
But Duke's game throughout the course of the Coach K era has been to take the opponent's best shot and always answer the bell. We haven't seen that this year. For the first time last night, we did just that. We had a great team in camera, one of the best teams in the country. We took their best shot, and our guys kept answering the bell. As you mentioned, that floor slap, they did not, they did not let UVA score the rest of the way after that. And I'm so proud of this team because we've talked about the inconsistency on offense and defense and special teams and intangibles, every other category that you can possibly throw in there. But last night, even if things weren't going bad or weren't going well, they answered the bell. Every time the UVA threw a shot, we threw one back. Every time UVA got a defensive stop, we did the same thing. Every single time UVA gave us something that they thought was going to be the knockout blow, we would answer with one of our own. And I think that is what Duke games used to be about back in the day where, you know, we would, we would slug it out with teams and eventually win. this was a team where the better team came into Cameron and they lost to a team who was better on the night because they kept getting up, they kept fighting and they kept answering the bell. Yeah, I'll tell you that you hit on something I wanted to talk about, which is the guts that this team showed. Um, this was a game where you had to gut it out with hard, hard work at both ends of the floor. When Virginia went up five with about six minutes left, I'll be honest, I thought we were going to lose that ball game, but but we found a way to to gut it out. And and I want to get back to the slap for a second, the floor slap. So I want to I want everyone to remember what happened leading up to that. From about the six-minute mark to about the two-and-a-half-minute mark, both teams scored on nine consecutive possessions. We were, tra- we were quite literally trading baskets, and it wasn't even just trading baskets. It was like trading three for trading three, trading two for trading two. Uh, you know, it was like the same thing at either end of the floor. You know, Hauser would hit a big bucket. Hurt would hit a big bucket. You know, Stewart would hit a three, uh, and, and then, you know, someone on Virginia would hit a, hit a three. It, it was, uh, you know, the classic back and forth. And then that floor slap happened and Virginia did not score again. They didn't get a single point uh, in the final two and a half minutes. Neither team scored at all in the final two minutes. It was, and it was all the guts I think that, that Duke had to show to win this game. I, I, I found that incredibly impressive. We're a team that has struggled in close games this year. I don't, I'm trying to think, you know, I think like BC, maybe, you know, we've had some close wins, but, you know, we haven't had a game like this. The games like this, we have mostly lost. And, and it was a big turning point for this young team to, to get a win at, where it could go either way. Sam, what I you think got? you're going to hear a lot about how exactly what you were talking about, Jason. This is one of the first games this season where it's a close game that Duke is able to, to gut out and figure out how to be on top after 40 minutes. A lot of Duke's losses this year have been by one possession, two possessions. Duke hasn't gotten blown out a lot. And to the extent that they've lost sort of um, convincingly, it's been two very good teams, which is why, despite looking at a record that is basically even for the season, there is still hope for Duke to make it into the NCAA tournament because their advanced metrics have been lingering a little bit higher than expected. I think we're also going to get to the fact that Duke didn't move much in Ken Palm last night, despite winning this game, because Ken Palm had this as a one point Duke loss and it turned out to be a two point Duke victor or one point Duke victory. So there there's actually not that much deviation from the expectations. The difference is that, that Duke actually won this game where they haven't been able to do so uh, in, in previous weeks against 
other really good opponents. And so that it, it feels like a huge turnaround to us, even though the team it feels like has been building to this point for a couple of weeks. Uh, you know, just really quickly, um, I, I, I want to talk about a little bit about shooting <clears throat> in this game. Duke only hit 18% of their threes in the second half. We only hit one of five free throws. So we had to get this done in the half court against Virginia's pack line defense, which <laughs> that's like the hardest thing to do in all of college basketball. And, and by the way, speaking of shooting for the first time this year, Duke beat a team that shot well from three. Virginia hit 45% of their three pointers and Duke still won. We haven't done that all year long. Uh, but the way we did it was we didn't let Virginia dictate what kind of game it would be. You know, it was a slow game, but Wendell Moore talked about in the pregame how important it would be to get some fast break points and to not play against their set defense. And we managed to get 14 points off fast break. Donald, I know you want to talk more about that. That's a big number against Virginia, isn't it? Absolutely. And again, like you said, this is where the stats don't necessarily tell the story of the game that just from, if you looked at just stats, you just looked just the box score, you would say, man, they really grinded it out, but they had a, they took advantage of those opportunities, the fast break points. And honestly, we got a lot of spark from our bench. We outscored them. Our bench points outscored them 19 to seven. And we had a lot of spark off the bench. We had a lot of spark in the, and when we had opportunities to get fast break points, we were able to get them UVA, of course, you know, scoring two points was really, you know, for them is whatever, because they don't like to go out on fast breaks, but for us being able to get out and get our points quickly and get back on defense is something that needed to happen because that is where UVA likes to, and there's times where UVA were able to stop fast breaks, but they were able to, uh, you know, for us, we were able to get out, get our points. And those points ended up being a big difference, a big impact on the game. Sam, give me some of the players. I mean, we got to talk, we got to talk Jamin Brakefield and Matthew Hurt, right? Absolutely. Jamin Brakefield, we've said is the guy who's get, who get, who, Jamin Brakefield, we've said, is the guy who gets the most opportunity from Jalen Johnson not being on this team anymore. And he showed up all over the place last night. I think he was effective in limited time against Wake Forest and has now become a pretty important part of this rotation, be it shooting open baskets when he's away from from the basket. You know, he's he's allowed to take three pointers and and mid-range shots, which I don't think we expect a lot of freshmen to be able to do. He's gotten a few key layups last night. He got that layup in transition that was actually fairly acrobatic. And then he had another one that was a baseline layup that was pretty advanced for a freshman who hasn't gotten a lot of playing time this year. So it was the game winning. That was the game winning points there. You're right. talking about Sam. <laughs> and, and so Jamin Brakefield has made this huge contribution on offense, especially as a scorer on defense he's become maybe the best defender on the team. If we're not talking about Jordan Goldwire's performance yesterday, Brakefield is blocking shots and is altering defense is altering offense for opponents. And by the way, doing it against guys who are much bigger than him. Brakefield is not, he, you know, he's, he's shaped like a pretty average size wing. He's not a, he's not a big man in terms of, in terms of his size and shape, but he's able to play in the post in limited minutes and really contribute in that way. Well, wait, wait. I, I, let's not get crazy. Jamin Brakefield's not the second best defender on this team to Jordan Goldwire. That is still Wendell Moore, in my opinion. But Brakefield, Coach K talked about this in the postgame news conference. Um, he, he, he said that Jamin Brakefield has the kind of footwork that allowed him to play against someone who's a really advanced post player like Jay Huff. And, and boy, Jay Huff, you know, you got to 
tip your hat to what a great player that guy is. Um, nope, nope, I, nope. I don't have to. He was supposed to retire two years ago. I stand by my statement. No, in all seriousness, he he had a great game uh, for a man who came out of retirement to play against Duke and Cameron. We told you that Jay Huff and Sam Hauser were going to have good games, and they yeah. had good games. And Duke is winning in spite of them. I think we we can keep talking about the defense in that regard, right, Jason? Yes, yes. In fact, I wanted to mention, uh, you know, so Duke. One of the advantages I think of having Breakfield in the game versus Mark Williams was Duke was switching everything. And the strange thing to me was, we're talking about Jay Huff, Duke would switch guards onto Jay Huff, and Virginia just didn't want to give Huff the ball in those situations. It was very strange. I think that they were, I think when it was Goldwire, it was mostly being Goldwire switched onto him. When Goldwire would switch onto him, I think Virginia was a little bit afraid of Jordan Goldwire and his craftiness on defense. And they thought if we give the ball to Huff in here, Goldwire is going to get another steal because that guy gets steals on everybody. But uh, they didn't even do it. They didn't even give it to Huff when Jeremy Roach would get switched onto him. Uh, and, and, you know, the other thing, you know, you were mentioning about, about Hauser, um, who, who had an outstanding game. And in the first half, Matthew Hurt and Sam Hauser were playing, you know, I score, now you score, just back and forth. Um, but in the second half, Virginia almost forgot about Hauser a little bit. And I think they made a big mistake going to Kihei Clark and, and Huff almost exclusively down the stretch. Uh, I think they would have been wise to take more advantage of Hauser. His usage rate in this game was only 20%. Clark and Huff were up around 30%. And Hauser was the more effective player. Um, Hauser only got one shot in the final four minutes of this game. And that may be one of the reasons that Duke won the game. But part of that is Duke's defense. Um, and, and especially, I thought, Matthew Hurt, who's not a guy known for his defense, did a really nice job when he was matched up with Hauser. And Hauser, I think, for the first, like, 28 minutes of the game, didn't miss a shot. Like, he was on in the first half. He hit, you know, I think he had 12 points at the half. But th- he was – very, very effective when he had the ball. And I think part of the game plan about switching everything around led them to kind of focus in on other guys. Uh, not necessarily that Sam Hauser was the one they wanted that they knew could beat him because there are several guys on the court that could, but they were able to take the, again, take what UVA gave them and say, okay, if this guy's making all the shots, let's funnel the ball away from him and make other guys make shots. And Kihei Clark made a couple of them, but they're down the stretch. He was, he missed a couple of threes. He missed the layup and then he got blocked by Breakfield at the end. So those things were, you know, we put our guys in the position where we gave you UVA gave us something and we let them kind of take it up to a point And then we snatched it back from them. I think I said this last night, but one of the things that was so exciting about this game was the way Duke was playing. It's sort of old school opportunistic passing lane uh, swarming defense that, you know, we as, as old Duke fans love to, to reminisce about. And Jordan Goldwire, I think was the, was the, the perfect uh, epitome of the way that we were playing last night, reaching for steals and, and getting around guys, making them feel uncomfortable. He did that to Kihei Clark. He did that to, to other guards and, and guys on the perimeter for UVA. And Jason, you talked about how UVA couldn't find Sam Hauser down the stretch to make key buckets for them. I think part of that was that the Duke swarming defense uh, spooked UVA into playing even more conservatively on offense than they normally would. And, and Duke just frustrated them in a way that it was like, yes, they were relying on, they had Jay Huff down the stretch who is a great scorer, but they also had Kihei Clark handling the ball. And by the way, I told you in the preview that Kihei Clark can occasionally cough the ball up three turnovers yesterday, all of those sort of perimeter turnovers that, that led to fast breaks from Duke. So that, 
just that little bit of difference from Duke, that little extra aggression led by Goldwire, I think was the difference in this game. So I, I want to mention a couple other guys. Um, and, and, you know, I agree. Breakfield, Goldwire, these guys had fabulous games, especially on the defensive end of the floor. I want to talk really quickly about a few other guys who maybe don't jump out of the box score in the same way. One of them is Henry Coleman. Uh, he continues to show awareness and energy and bring positives to this team every minute he's in the game. He doesn't play a lot. And I'm not saying he needs to be playing 15, 20 minutes a game. Uh, because he's he's still limited in some of the things he can contribute to this Duke team. But but the five minutes that he plays, he makes sure that he's important. I got an amazing stat for you guys. Duke only had four offensive rebounds in this game. I'm, you know, this is something that I was going to touch about in the bad, but I'm gonna get to it here because it relates to Henry Coleman and it is something very good. Duke only had four offensive rebounds in this game. Two of those offensive rebounds were what are known as team rebounds, you know, where the ball was batted around a little bit and it went out of bounds and Duke got it after going out of bounds on a rebound. And those are team rebounds. So no one on Duke grabbed that rebound. Duke's other two offensive rebounds were both balls that found their way into the hands of Henry Coleman. That dude is just opportunistic and always active. And he turned both of those offensive rebounds into baskets for him. In a one-point game, huge, just huge to have a guy come off the bench and do that for you. I, and and I, I, I just love the kid. He's just given his all the whole time. There was several times last night where, you know, when he was in the game and, you know, he wasn't in the game that long, but there were several times during that moment, those moments when he was in the game where I was like, yeah, Henry. Yeah. Henry. Cause he was doing something to make an impact. And I noted at, at there was one where he kind of grabbed the rebound. Uh, it was a little bit further out into the paint. And then he kind of just launched himself towards the rim and laid it in. And I was like, that is a power move that, you know, that is a, that is a symbol of confidence. That is a man who has gained confidence from, last summer when we thought he had all the confidence in the world till now, like that is an incredible leap uh, of ability that he is, that we've seen him uh, grow over the last few months. Yeah. And, and so another guy who did not have a big box score game, uh, at least in terms of scoring that I want to talk about is Wendell Moore. Um, I, I think he's turned into the leader of this team. He had seven assists in this game, five rebounds, only one turnover. He was initiating the offense as much as anyone uh, on this team. And Duke had 16 assists on 26 made baskets. That's a 61% assist rate. That's huge. And you've got to do that kind of thing against Virginia. You cannot score one man going against the Virginia defense. There are just too many of them and they, they help too much. You have to move the ball around. And Wendell Moore was the guy who moved the ball around more than anyone else. And then the last guy I want to talk about, I, I, we got to come up. There's got to be a good nickname for Matthew Hurt. He's like butter. <laughs> the dude is just so smooth. It's incredible. You mean you don't prefer you don't prefer the unfair comparisons to Larry Bird that Jay Billis oh. was throwing out? <laughs> yeah, Larry Bird, Dirk Nowitzki. I, I mean, uh, look, I I actually think look, just because you're white and you could shoot doesn't mean you're Larry Bird. <laughs> yes, and and Matthew Hurt is not nearly the passer and creative scorer that that Larry Bird was. That's absurd. But. Uh, you know, his fadeaway, that fadeaway is such a weapon. And I, I, you know, I, I still go back to Dirk Nowitzki. I think that's the guy whose game it really resembles. And it's not because of his skin color. The other guy I like, actually, as yeah. a Matthew Hurt comparison is he's got a little bit of Tim Duncan in him from 15 feet and in where he's he's always got his eyes on the basket on offense and he knows how to use the rim and the backboard and the space around him and, and he keeps and, the ball high. 
Yes, yeah, and he keeps the ball. He does all those things. He does all, all those things perfectly. The fact that he can step out and hit the three is is what makes him a lot flashier than Tim Duncan. And obviously, Tim Duncan had post moves that nobody else had. But I see a little bit of that in his mid range game. I, I so by the way, I want to give you just a couple of stats on Matthew Hurt that I think are really interesting on this season. I mean, look, we've seen the three pointers. Dude's hitting almost fifty percent of his threes, and and the past few games he has basically been like a, taking a three is taking a layup. For Matthew Hurt, which is crazy and, and, and a major reason why Duke is on a three-game winning streak right now. But on the season, he's hitting more than 63% of his two-point shots. And look, I know we were spoiled by Zion Williamson a couple of years ago who hit 75% of his two-point shots. But Matthew Hurt is not doing it by taking dunks and layups. He's doing it by shooting mid-range fadeaway jumpers. That's supposed to be a terrible shot. And he's hitting 63% of them. I mean, it's- And they're all going right to the bottom of the net. Oh, it's, there's yeah. like, <laughs> it's crazy. All water. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's really impressive. And like I said, uh, I think last game, um, he's playing his way into being an NBA first round draft pick. I think, Uh, you know, I'd love to have another year of Matthew Hurt the way he's playing now. I just don't know how he can come back. So the one thing that I will will note as a good from the bad, you know, there was, you were talking about the assists uh, to made baskets ratio that we had, which was really good. Like half of the ones that weren't assists where the ball moved around the perimeter, it was able to find Matthew Hurt in the post and he took two dribbles and did a fadeaway and, and boo. Yeah. Like just knocked it down. And because he took two dribbles, it didn't count as an assist, but clearly the offense was flowing in a way that allowed him to get into a position where he could sometimes use his creativity or use his, use his dribble to kind of create some space. There was one where he kind of leaned into Sam Hauser and then fade away back. He didn't take a step when he did it and caused Sam Hauser to foul him as he made the basket, just an incredible move that you only see few players do. But I think Matt hurt is, stepping up in a way that I, th- I haven't seen him do or anyone else on this team do. And he's doing it with a move that seems to be at this point close to unstoppable. Okay, guys, that's the good. We had a lot of good and it was a great game, uh, but let's get to the bad just really quickly. Uh, Donald, I'll let you start. Um, tell me what you saw in this game that, that concerned you a little bit. I will, start, I will start with the inside game because I think we had a few of the bad come from that and I, I say bad loosely because I don't think it was overly terrible uh, but they did have 34 uh, points in the paint Virginia did and of course last game we saw that our average of around 40 points allowed in the paint had dipped into the 20s now it's back into the 30s again that is something where you had two guys in Sam Hauser and Jay Huff who were incredible on the night they were able to basically do whatever they wanted inside the post uh, and Mark Williams and others really couldn't handle that. And, and that's, that's okay because those are two all ACC caliber players. Uh, but I do think that is something that we need to focus on because I think when it comes to the defense, if teams thinking just bang around into the post, that leads to other concerns that we've had or, or this year, namely sending them to the free throw line and them getting a lot of free throw attempts where they get easy access to points. So we need to kind of limit that, bring that down, if we're in the twenties, I think that's a good thing because we are also in the twenties. If we're matching them in the paint or, or exceeding them in the paint, that means that we're going to be winning a lot more basketball games. I'm surprised at how badly Duke lost the rebounding margin in this game. Not that UVA is not a talented rebounding team. We know that Huff and Hauser are leading the way for them. And we talked about how they're good at rebounding going into the preview, but the fact that Duke lost the turnover battle by 10 rebounds in a game that only featured 
54 rebounds in total. Like it's a huge discrepancy, 32 to 22. Cause on a percentage basis, UVA had, had, you know, 50% more rebounds than Duke did or just under that. And Duke was able to basically keep it close the whole game. That really is a testament to the rest of Duke's production and tells me that there's still a problem with Duke crashing the glass, especially on offense. And you could tell that there was a little bit of a game plan to that, but I think that part's concerning. And then, and then Mark Williams's overall play, I think, you know, he was maybe due for a, a down game here. He's, he's played so well the last few weeks and it's hard to keep that up. We've talked about how hard that is, especially for a freshman big. So the, the overwhelming big guys for UVA, I'm not concerned about that for Mark Williams going forward. Hopefully this is good tape that he can take and, and, and find ways to improve, but obviously not the strongest game from him. Well, we, we talked about that in the preview, too. We said that he was going to have trouble, especially against Jay Huff. And there's things that he will learn from this game, namely how a big man who is almost as big as him and has skills, which we would call superior to him, only based on experience. He was able, Jay Huff was able to put his hand in the passing lane so many times, and Mark Williams didn't have the strength to really box him out to create a lane or a passing lane or space for him to get the ball. That's something he's going to learn. And really in the off season, again, this is one of those games where he didn't know he was a monster. So he didn't play like one. We've seen him play like a monster before. Uh, he's going to learn those things and take that and, and really improve as we go along. I bet you're going to hear Mark Williams reference this game down the road when yep. he has success, other successful moments at Duke, be they in the tournament or against other elite teams. He's going to say, I remember this game against UVA when Jay Huff, you know, really showed me like the array of things that, that a big man could do in the ACC. And mm -hmm. I think Mark Williams is going to learn a ton from this experience. Yeah. So the, uh, obviously I agree with you guys that the rebounds and, and some of the interior play was, was, was a bad, so to speak, was something, you know, a vegetable, if you want to call it that, that we have to deal with the, the, uh, there are two other little things I wanted to mention. One was um, DJ Stewart, who, who really struggled on, on, you know, hitting three-pointers, including several wide-open threes, and, and didn't have a great game knocking down shots all day, um, missed some key free throws, uh, including, oh, God, I mean, the, the, the front end of the one-and-one one that he missed in the final minute where, where Duke sent him to the – like, Duke set up a play to get the ball to DJ Stewart so DJ Stewart would get fouled. Like, we said, you are the man that's going to take these key free throws for us, and, and he missed it. Um, so that's, you know, <laughs> that's a concern. And, uh, and the other bad sort of relates to that, which is we were, you know, as much as we were celebrating and enjoying this half a second, I mean, Jay Huff, that shot that Kihei Clark misses at the end, Jay Huff grabbed it and put it in for a rebound slam dunk. I, I think it was half a second, maybe three quarters of a second, but it is darn close to being about as heartbreaking a moment as you can possibly have. Uh, and uh, so as great as the game was, as excited as I am uh, that Duke was able to pull out a tight game down the stretch, boy, we came within a absolute, you know, just a hair's length of, of not winning that game. And, and it shows that we need to continue pressing and working and making sure we get better at the little things, you know, because there were some mistakes that were made down the stretch. I think when it comes to DJ Stewart, you know, I think before the game, they were talking about he shot 86% from the line this year uh, and he missed three free throws. He's going to make those next time. That's, that's my confidence in him is that, you know, he, he learns from this. He goes, Hey, I know what that pressure feels like, right? He knows what the pressure feels like of going to the line to seal a game against a, against a, a better opponent. 
he'll he'll make those next time. He'll knock them down. Uh, and, and really from this, that'll be just like Mark Williams had some learning experiences that he can take from this game. DJ Stewart will also have some learning experience that he can take as well. So uh, this young team keeps on getting better and it feels like every game is the most important game of the season at this point. So with the most important UVA game in the, the tail light, up next, we're going to be talking about the next most important game, which is our contest against Syracuse coming up on Monday. We'll have that after a quick break. All right, guys, it's a quick turnaround for the Blue Devils as we'll be playing the Syracuse Orange on Monday evening, um, big Monday on ESPN. And it is a huge, huge game for Duke because uh, Syracuse is very much like Duke, battling right there on the bubble, trying to get into the NCAA tournament. This would be a major important win for them is the kind of game that Duke probably, you know, it's tough, tough to lose any games at this point. Um, when you're where we are, but a home game against a Syracuse team that is good, but not great. We just got to find a way to win this. Donald, let me go to you first. Tell me where Syracuse stands. What have they been doing lately in their contests? Give me some so of their results. So they're 13 and six on the year and they're seven and five in the conference, uh, but they've won their last three games in a row over NC State, Boston College and Notre Dame. They haven't been great this year, but they also don't have any real bad losses, in my opinion. Their losses, their six losses have come to Rutgers. They've lost twice to Pitt, UNC, UVA, and Clemson. So those are pretty decent teams. We're not necessarily worried about those. One thing that I have seen from some of the games that they've played, and we'll talk about some of how they relate to, Jason, to your advanced metrics, they allow a lot of three-point attempts on defense, and their opponents usually make them. But in their losses, they also take and they miss a lot of threes. They average around 24% from three-point land in their losses. Compare that with their last three games, again, against NC State, BC, and Notre Dame. They made 45% of the, their threes in those games. So our perimeter defense has to be strong. It, you know, If we're going to get let Buddy Bayheim get out there and, and make threes, this is going to be a long day for us. But if we can control them on the perimeter, again, cut down on the interior uh, paint points that teams have been scoring against us so seemingly at will for the last few weeks. If we can cut down on that, Syracuse is going to have a hard time controlling us. And again, I think the X factor that we have, Jamin Brakefield, Matthew Hurt, I don't think that Syracuse has a lot of guys that can really contest what they can bring to the table if they are on. So let's hope that they have a great shooting day and have a great day on defense because if they do, Duke can take this game. And I will mention, we'll talk about this in a little bit, they are also listed, according to Joe Lenardi, as of this morning, Syracuse is listed right underneath us on the next four outline when it comes to bracketology. So this is a huge game because we can tell the NCAA committee that, hey, you're talking about this team being level with us. They're not level with us. I love it. I love it. So let me get to some of the advanced stats, the advanced metrics on Syracuse. They are number 51 in Ken Pomeroy. Duke, by the way, is number 30, and we're going to talk a little bit later about uh, you know, Duke's Ken Palm rank and their net rank and things like that. But Syracuse is number 51. They have the 31st best offense, the 74th best defense. So slightly better on offense than defense. Um, and, uh, you know, you, uh, when you play Syracuse, you always talk about that zone, that zone defense that they play. It forces you to play slow on offense. Um, Syracuse is one of the, I guess you'd say, longest teams in the country in terms of the length of defensive possessions. Teams take a while to get a good shot, to get the shot they want against that Syracuse zone. But 
Syracuse plays really fast on offense. They're the 32nd fastest team in the country on offense. So you're going to go fast at one end of the floor, and they're going to try and make you play slow at the other end of the floor. Let's talk a little bit about that offense. They don't do a lot of things poorly, um, but they don't do a lot of things great either. They, they, they're good at not turning the ball over, about 43rd in the country at turnover percentage. They're a good passing team that gets good looks near the basket. They assist on 57% of their baskets. That's a really big number. So this is a team that's going to pass and find the best shot. And they are a great, I mean, a great free throw shooting team. That shows you that they are good shooters. They hit 79.7% of their free throws, almost 80% of their free throws as a team. That's just, that's like otherworldly. That is one of the best numbers in the entire country. On defense, it's all about that zone. They beg you to shoot over it. They don't want you to drive into it. More than 45% of the shots taken against Syracuse are three-pointers. That is one of the highest percentages in the country. And like Donald said, teams only hit about 31% of those threes. We don't, you don't, they want you to shoot a lot of threes and you don't make a lot of threes against them. That is a good formula for being a good defensive team. They have really active hands on defense. Their steal rate, which is you know a measurement of you know percentage of possessions that end in a steal, Almost 13%, 12.9% of possessions against Syracuse end in a steal as unreal, sixth best in the country. And they're also a great defensive shot blocking team, the 12th best shot blocking team in the land. And by the way, it's not that they have seven footers back there. It, the guys blocking their shots are Alan Griffin and Quincy Gurrier, who are just six five and six seven. I mean, these, these are not six, nine, six, 10, seven footers blocking shots. These are guys who are long and they know how to get in your way and block your shot. And it's a really important part of the Syracuse defense. The last thing I want to mention about them very quickly, this is a really interesting kind of stat about Syracuse. Only 16% of Syracuse's minutes go to bench players. They have five guys that they want to play as much as possible. Then they got one other player that they, they fit in there just a little bit. That one other player is a freshman, uh, Kaderi Richmond. Now I want to mention something about him and Sam's about to talk about specific players that we need to look at, but I want to mention Richmond for this reason. This dude who only plays about 18 to 20 minutes per game is an absolute savant at steals. This is a really interesting stat. He has the highest steal percentage of any player in the country. I want to repeat that. There are 350 teams in Division I. Every one of those teams has, you know, 10, 12, 13 players on it. This guy is the best player in the country at steal percentage. That is unreal. He only plays 20 minutes per game. He gets more than two steals per game. He had a game against Clemson. He had six steals in 25 minutes. Played Miami. He had five steals in 22 minutes. This guy, it just you have to be on the lookout for where he is on the floor. Again, he's just a freshman, doesn't play a lot. But by the, by the time his career is done, you will know the name of Kaderi Richmond. Sam, tell me about the other players that we need to look out for on Syracuse. Glad you started us off with Richmond because I think he's an intriguing player for Syracuse. And I want to make sure I highlight not just, you did a great job of highlighting him. And as you said, the bench is short for Syracuse. He's basically the only guy off the bench that gets significant minutes for them. So I want to run through a few of the starters that are also important here. Some of these guys we've encountered before, and some we, we are going to be maybe less familiar with. I'll start with junior buddy Bayheim, who if nothing else has a notable name being a Syracuse basketball player, whose name is Bayheim. He's one of a trio of guys that is scoring 15 points a game and is probably the most effective like overall scorer for Syracuse. He's kind of the focal point of the offense. Um, he's going to take a lot of shots. 
and he's a little bit turnover prone. So if you can get a situation where Buddy Beheim is dribbling the ball around or is trying to pass out as opposed to finding his shot, uh, that's an opportunity for Duke and for guys like Goldwire and Moore to, to be creating that little more havoc defense that has served Duke well the last couple games. I'm also going to come back to you, Jason, and say, come on, his name is Quincy Gurrier. He's from Montreal. We have to, we have to <laughs> put the accent on him. So he's, he's one of, as, as you mentioned, uh, as you mentioned, he, he's one of the, the not huge, but big men. Uh, they've also got junior Illinois transfer, Alan Griffin. Both of these guys are, are big wings who are going to disrupt shots. They are going to get rebounds. They're a decent, decent rebounding group here at Syracuse. But uh, Gurrier is a, is, a, is a great rebounder. He pulls down almost 10 rebounds a game. And I think you're going to see some interesting matchups when Syracuse is on offense and Duke is on defense to see who's going to be guarding Quincy Gurrier between uh, Mark Williams and Jamin Brakefield. I, th- I think that's going to be one of the keys to the game is Duke stopping that guy. Uh, really quickly, Alan Griffin, just note uh, the brother of incoming Duke freshman, AJ Griffin. So I had missed that in my research. So thank yeah. you for bringing. Oh, really, up. Sam? That you didn't know that? Yeah, Alan, oh God! I was going to say when Alan Griffin was looking to transfer from Illinois, there was talk that that Duke was one of the possible destinations for him because you know because he so he could play with his brother because AJ was already committed to Duke at that point. AJ committed very early, as you recall. AJ's a top ten recruit. Um, you know, folks, you're going to love him next year. Alan is. Somewhat similar player, but not quite as good as his younger brother. And Allen ended up going to Syracuse instead of instead of Duke. But you can guarantee the Griffin family will be watching the game Monday night. I am sure. Therefore, we will be hearing a lot about this during the broadcast because oh, absolutely, they they, they love stuff like that. And then a couple of guys that I think uh, Duke fans will, will probably remember from previous years: Joe Girard, who's a sophomore point guard, and Merrick Dolzhai, who's a senior big man, a European guy. Uh, but by, by the way, are, by the way, yes. Joe Girard, another guy that there was talk he might go to Duke, but ended up going to Syracuse instead. So, and 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 Duke and Syracuse have certainly been in recruiting battles many times before. These are two programs that are run by uh, a couple of coaches who are very good friends, and 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 not that they have the same basketball philosophy because Jim Beheim's more of his own defense guy, and Coach K is more of a man-to-man guy. But they're going to be looking for, I think, uh, similar types of players. So you'll certainly hear about that kind of intrigue. But Gerard and Dolajai are both also effective players for Syracuse. Those five uh, plus Richmond are going to get the bulk of the minutes. So we're going to we're going to be seeing a lot of them in this game. If Duke can can draw any fouls from Syracuse, hopefully, you know, maybe you, you throw off the rotation a little bit. I think that overall, my my take from, you know, reading up about Syracuse a little bit more and, and watching a little bit here and there is that they're not quite as talented as Duke. And so if Duke's talent is finally rounding into form with guys like Brakefield turning into the versions of themselves that I think we would hope we would have seen maybe, you know, even going into next year, that the way Duke is playing right now, they should be a couple possessions better than Syracuse over a 40 point game or of a 40 minute game. But this is still going to be an exciting game and a fun one. Syracuse is not on that same, I think, lower tier as some of the other teams that Duke has played in recent weeks. So they're 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 closer to a good tournament lock than they are to a bad team that should be, you know, considering a, a, a regime change the way that like Boston College just went through. All right. So the last thing we got to talk about regarding Syracuse, and I think, you know, I think we can't, we can't go away without mentioning this. Jim Beheim sparked some major controversy in the world of college basketball this past week when he said 
that Duke's Jalen Johnson, that Duke was a, a much better team without Jalen Johnson and that Jalen Johnson was hurting Duke. And um, uh, a lot of people said, hey, <laughs> Jimmy B, what are, you, what are you doing talking about another team's players like that, especially after Coach K and the Duke team said they absolutely supported Jalen um, in Jalen's decision to go to the NBA and, and stop playing for Duke this year. Um, there, I saw it suggested, I think it was on Twitter or someplace, that Jalen unretire, so to speak, come back to Duke for one game and hang a 40 spot on Syracuse and then say that he's all done. Um, but, uh, you know, you were talking about what the announcers will talk about in this Duke game, the Duke-Syracuse game. There's going to be controversy. There's going to be conversation, I should say, about Jim Beheim and his comments about Jalen Johnson. And, and Beheim, by the way, did try to walk it back a little bit over the weekend, you know, he actually said he hasn't seen Jalen Johnson play at all this year. Like he hasn't watched a Duke games yet. Cause he's, he's scouting their next opponent and Duke hasn't been their next opponent until now. So he's like, look, I, you know, when I said that they're better off without him, I, I haven't actually seen them play. I haven't seen him play at all. So he tried to walk it back a little bit, but at the same time, that is going to be sort of an undercurrent of this game. Anytime Jimmy B and coach K are on the same floor together, there's crazy stuff that's going to happen. I mean, all I have to say about that is let's prove him right. He, he said we play better without him. Let's just prove him right. You know, if we come out like and we, if we destroy him, then he can say that, hey, see, told you, told you I know what I'm talking about. It, it's fine. I, I, don't, I don't think it's necessarily controversial in the sense that I don't, I don't think I, Coach K is sitting there like, what does, you know, what does Jim Beheim think about my team? I don't think we care about what Jim Beheim thinks about the team. Just like he doesn't care about what we have to say about Syracuse. So I, I say we just let it let it slide, we let it ride, and let's just prove him right. Let's just be let's be the better team on Monday night. I am not going to tell you that I disagree strongly with Jim Beheim, and in fact, I think he might actually be right. So the controversy here is just <laughs> that he said the quiet part out loud, and and that's fine. Look, Duke has had examples of this in the past where where they've lost effective players and have figured out how to regel the the team in a different way. This would not, this, this is not an unprecedented thing. And to Donald's point, fine, prove him right. Let's, let's see Duke come out and beat Syracuse by nine or 10 points, which I think would be a, a really nice outcome for them. So playing Syracuse is a big deal because, as we mentioned earlier, like Duke, Syracuse is sitting there on the bubble, um, you know, needing big wins against other bubble teams to get into the NCAA tournament. We find ourselves in the exact same shoes as the Orange. Donald, let me start with you. Let's let's do a little segment here before we go. You know, looking ahead, looking at where Duke is in terms of NCAA tournament chances. This is not something we talk about most years. Most years we're like, oh, are we a two seed or a one seed? You know, <laughs> this mm -hmm. year it's like, are we a nine seed or an 11 seed or are we not even making the tournament? So get me started on this conversation. Well, I think Joe Lenardi said at the beginning of yesterday, this was before Duke won. He had us on the next four outline. And then as the day progressed with other games that were going on, he moved us off that line. But he did mention that if we want out, that we should make the NCAA tournament now. And, I, and he predicted we would win out. And I, he predicted I, we I wanna, win out. Look, I want to give Lenardi credit on College Game Day or whatever the show it was. I forget that he was on like at noon or so yesterday. They were talking to him and he said, I, you know, I'm, I believe Duke will win all their remaining games and will comfortably make the tournament as a result. Yeah, and, and I don't know what comfortable means in his mind, if that's like an eight seed or a nine seed or something. That feels comfortable. 
10 or 11 seed means that we're on that bubble and we are probably heatedly discussed. In if, the, if we, in if the we win our remaining games and like even make the ACC finals, I think we're like a seven or an eight seed because it'll be clear at that point that this is a different Duke team than what you saw earlier in the year. But sorry, I keep on interrupting you. Yeah, no, no. That's, and I think that's good context because I think that's where we're headed, right? If we, we talked a couple of weeks ago about, you know, what happens if we don't make the NCAA tournament. And I mentioned that, one of the things that they look at, they look at the net, they look at Ken Palm, they look at all these other things, but they look at how a team has done over their last 10 games. And if that last 10 is eight and two, nine and one, 10 and zero, they look at that team and go, huh, this team that we have right now is hot. The team that there was, that we're talking about from a month ago is not the team that we're faced that we're seeing today. And this team can be anybody in the country. That's what we need to kind of see. We need to see, show the NCAA selection committee that, Hey, the team that you saw at the beginning of the season and in January is not the team that you were seeing right now in the, at the, towards the end of February and into March. And I think that as you, as we keep going, we have good enough games against good enough opponents that if we beat them, that they can advance us up the ladder, so to speak, and they can get us into the NCAA tournament. We just need to keep playing the way we're playing and, and really grind it out because some of these games are going to be, we, we get a couple of revenge games. We get Louisville, we get UNC, uh, those games, we need to make sure that if we can beat them, we could then say, hey, you know, that team we f- that faced them last month, we're not that team. We clearly are much better. We beat them this time around on the road or at home or whatever it is. So I think when it comes to Duke, just keep progressing, keep improving, and keep grinding out these victories. Because if we do, we if, even if they don't take us, we make it very hard for them to do so. We got nothing but bubble and tournament teams left on our, on our schedule. Um, and that's not to say that there's an excuse for losing to any one of those teams, but, but your point about, you know, proving it, uh, Duke's schedule gives us every opportunity to prove that, that we belong um, because there, there, are, there are no games left against BC or Wake or even NC State. It is nothing but teams that are firmly on the bubble or even teams like I think Carolina and Louisville who are probably in already. Sam, what you got on this? I think a couple of weeks ago, we, at least I personally, and, I, and, and I'm, now I'm trying to remember exactly the way you guys had characterized this, but I had mostly written off Duke's chances of making the NCAA tournament. It wasn't just that there weren't it's like, we know that there's a clear path because Duke has now won three games in a row. And we're talking about, you know, the possibility of winning the rest of their games. It's not that they could not have won out and made the tournament. It's that the way the team was playing and the way that it seemed like it lacked cohesion and, and a, a clear way that they were going to win games. Not that, right. We know that Matthew Hurt was playing really well and was, was scoring a lot of points. We know that the freshmen were progressing a little bit and, and, you know, getting more comfortable in, in the ACC game, but there wasn't a clear formula for victory for Duke a few weeks ago. I think now the identity of the team has coalesced a little bit and seeing Duke beat UVA, it's worth having this conversation again. So we can actually say, yes, it's possible for, for, it's not just that it is uh, possible for Duke to win the rest of their games, but that there's a, there's a way that we can imagine that happening, even as they're playing better teams, even that, even as they're playing teams that as Donald pointed out, Duke has already lost to this season. So I'm, I'm feeling excited about it. And I hope that that doesn't get ruined quickly this week. And the great thing about us, we, we mentioned the schedule that we have left. We have Syracuse, Louisville, Georgia tech, and UNC left on our regular season schedule. 
we have a much better schedule than just about anybody else who was listed on that next four out or first four out or last four in line. Uh, St. Louis and the next four out line with us is St. Louis, Utah State, and as we mentioned, Syracuse. First four out: Stanford, UConn, St. Bonaventure, and Richmond. Those teams, we have a much better schedule left. So if we can win our games out, we can show we're like, hey, our schedule down the stretch was tougher than these guys are, and we beat everybody in front of us. So that is again. We focus on Syracuse uh, for tomorrow night. We get past them. Then we can worry about the rest of our schedule. But for now, keep focusing on one game at a time because as these games build up, our resume builds up. And that's what we want to show the selection committee. So uh, really quick, I just want to mention one last thing related to all this. And you know, you guys know I'm the advanced stat. I'm the Ken Palm dude on this podcast. Um, a lot of people have talked about the fact that Duke's Ken Palm rating was 30 coming into the Virginia game and coming out of the Virginia game, it was still 30. And they were like, wait, why didn't it move? And we've explained, look, Ken Pomeroy is not interested in wins and losses. He's interested in how efficient were you on offense? How efficient were you on defense? He expected the, the Duke-Virginia game to be a one-point game with Virginia winning. Instead, it was a one-point game with Duke winning. That kind of difference in final score doesn't really dictate a huge change in Ken Palm ranking. But the thing I want to point out about that is Duke has not been as good as their Ken Palm ranking would indicate all year. And by not be as good, I mean, in terms of wins and losses, we have lost games that it felt like based on our Ken Palm efficiency rankings, we should win. So frankly, at this point, if Duke continues to live up to our Ken Palm ranking, then we're going to be in really good shape. We have been a better team than we seem to be all year long. And what's happening now is the close games that we were losing, we've started to win. And that makes a big difference in your record, doesn't make a big difference in your Ken Pomeroy ranking. So I just want people to understand, don't be alarmed. It's not like, you know, it's not like that win over Virginia wasn't important. It was hugely, hugely important. And it sets Duke on course. I think my, my bet is we got these four remaining games. If we go three and one, and then we don't just do terrible in the ACC tournament. I think Duke's making the NCAA tournament. If we go 4-0, we're making the NCAA tournament regardless of what happens in the uh, ACC tournament. If Duke goes 2-2 two and two in these four games, we're going to have some work to do in the ACC tournament. We may even have to make the ACC finals or perhaps even win the ACC. It's tough. So every game matters at the most. At the most, we've got room for maybe one loss. But let's just win them all and make it easy. You guys like the sound of that? Sounds good to me. I'm down. Let's do it. So before we go, guys, we got to get to player of the week. Are, are we even going to do this? I mean, is there any reason? I love the week that Jamin Brakefield had, and there are other guys who who had really nice performances and the such. Matthew Hurt. I mean, I'll, I'll usually I ask you guys. I'm the host. I'm taking host prerogative. I'm going first. Matthew Hurt's the player of the week. He had 22 points on 13 shots against UVA, 22 points on nine shots against Wake Forest. It feels like it feels like. Every three-pointer he takes is going to go in. And I thought, by the way, a great defensive game, especially in the second half against, against Hauser uh, of Virginia, who's one of the you know first-team all-ACC kind of player. And, and Matthew Hurt doing it at both ends of the floor, the efficiency. No question in my mind. We should almost be asking who's the second-place Duke player of the week. Donald, who you got for player of the week? Matthew Hurt may not be just this player of the week. He may not be just the ACC player of the week. He might be the national player of the week. That's how good he, of a week he had. And I'm not going to go against that. So Matthew Hurt is my player of the week. Sam, make it three for three. Nope, I won't. 
I, <laughs> what? I wrote this. I, Are you look, kidding me? I took all the notes on this, and I know that Matthew Hurt really deserves it. But I think that the way we've seen Jamin Breakfield step into Jalen Johnson's role, not completely. He's not starting, but he's, he's playing close to 20 minutes a game and just instantly looks like an effective player. And, and this week was, was maybe his best week of the season. I am going to tell you that my player of the week is, is Jamin Breakfield. I've given it to Matthew Hurt a few times this year. I am astounded at his offensive development. I love how well he's playing. And like Jason, I'm also feeling confident that he's on his way to leaving for the NBA draft and having, you know, something of a, of a decent NBA career based on this offensive production. But I'm so hyped for Jamin Breakfield and go back and watch the top five video that Duke Blue Planet put out and just get excited all over again for the impact that Jamin Breakfield is making at both ends of the floor. He's fired up. He's getting his teammates excited. He's scoring points. He's blocking shots. He's getting steals. He's doing everything for Duke right now. He's not scoring the most points. He's not the most efficient, but damn, if he isn't one of the, one of the most fun players on Duke right now. I'm going to admit until about five minutes before we recorded, I had Jamin Breakfield down as my player of the week. What happened was I kept looking back at, you know, I just looked back at the week and I also looked at some of the other notable performances from around the country this week. And when I realized that Matthew Hurt could be put up against every single one of them, I was like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing what Jason did a few weeks ago. I'm going <laughs> to go ahead and just go ahead and just give it, give it to our boy, Jamie Breakfield. You're the I'm man. I'm going to be hard like that. I'm, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm going to hold, I'm, <laughs> I've gotten to this point with Matt Hurt, with Matt Hurt that I'm holding him just to this completely lofty standard yeah, that's that fair that's totally like, fair like like jason said he's 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 averaging 22 points a game on 11 shots like that's ridiculous that's some jj reddick type of numbers by the way yeah <laughs> it is it, it uh, i mean sam look i i respect the choice and jamie breakfield had a great week and has shown himself to have a great future in a blue devil uniform but man matthew come on dude i mean matthew hurt like he was hitting three pointers like their layups it's crazy and, and the amazing thing is like he doesn't even touch rim. Most of those shots, they're going through. The net The net barely moves. That's how smooth those shots are going through. I swear the basket must look like the size of a swimming pool to him sometimes. Is uh, But I, I get it. I get it, Sam. That, we're we're, we're tough. There, there's no, there, look, there, there's no rules here. We're not being held to any kind of standard. But I thought Jamin Breakfield deserved, deserved this recognition. So here it we, is. We have, long said, we have long said that the DBR podcast Player of the Week standard is a very, very difficult one. And not everyone gets it. It's, it's something that it should be coveted. Uh, I don't know if we have to come up with an award or, or some little like piece of paper <laughs> that we can hand to them, but it's something that they should be coveting because we have high standards here at the DBR podcast. I love it. All right, folks. So that's going to wrap it up here for episode 285 of the DBR podcast. Thank you, Donald and Sam, for joining me. We will be back with you right after the Monday game against Syracuse. Come on, Blue Devils. Let's go to a, for a four-game winning streak. Let's go, Duke. Here's the Duke band. Take us home.